Welcome to the Business Sphere. On this podcast, we want to share real stories and real struggles from entrepreneurs who have been where you are. John Fong interviews business professionals and entrepreneurs in many fields to uncover their successes and challenges. We take a deep dive into their journey and provide you with tips and advice to help your business today. Thank you for listening to The Business Sphere. Don't forget to share this episode and subscribe. My guest today is Liz Kislik. She is a management consultant and executive coach that helps high-performance leaders solve their trickiest problems. Liz also contributes to the Harvard Business Review and Forbes. Thanks for being on the show today, Liz. So happy to be with you, John. Yeah, just like I, I spoke to you about before we got on this call, I did watch your TEDx uh, video and it really, you know, just refined what I was doing in my organization because I've been trying to work on the business, trying to harvest good traits, work principles and life principles and, and try to understand root root of it all, how humans interact, why people mm-hmm are challenged or not challenged and aspire to be who they are. So it sounds like we're in alignment because I love what you've talked about, but I would love for you to share with the listeners a little bit about your backstory, go as far as you would like, and then let people know what's your true expertise today. Okay. Uh, That's a very generous question. So um, I will... Where will I start? Let me start with coming out of college. Most of my friends went to grad school, but I wanted to work because I felt like that's where the action happens. And I liked seeing what people did and figuring out what you could do with people and business seemed the right place for that. So I went to work for a company where I had worked two summers before. It was a small privately held marketing agency. And I had done phone work for them. And then uh, the second summer, I created the equivalent of a human resources department. They didn't really have one. And I went back there because I got a better offer. They knew me already than I could get as a young stranger um, in other places. And I was supposed to start as an account executive. And I showed up for work the first day and learned that instead, I would be the interim manager for a department of two dozen women. The department was called statistical and tabulation. And This was before there was a computer on every desk. You know, this was old school counting papers. And I had to learn what their work was. And then I had to get those women to be willing to have me be responsible for them. It was totally terrifying. I was not at all prepared for it. Um, They were very gracious to me. And in this company, one of the advantages of a privately held firm is often there are opportunities that are not formally specified. And I just kept looking for more things to do. And every six months, I got promoted. Mm 
because there were so many things to do. And by the time I was 23, I was a vice president and running a 300-person call center, which is a little crazy, actually, if you think about it. And um, I learned that I didn't like being responsible for so many people and for so many problems that you couldn't actually get fixed all at once. And in that experience, John, I had to figure out how to manage myself so that I wouldn't fall apart from the stress of, you know, 300 people's problems and the problems of the executives that wanted stuff from the call center and the clients and all these different things. And it was an incredibly developmental experience. And part of what I learned was that it was truly fascinating to me to observe what was going on with people and try to figure out what the real story was and not just what it looked like on the surface. That's amazing. I mean, at such an early age, you were thrown or I guess you were promoted because they saw something in you that they weren't able to find within or exterior, right, from the outside. And it, it seemed like you, you aspired to hit a really good position at such a young age. What happened afterwards? So I worked there for a total of eight years, I think. And the owner died and there wasn't a good succession plan. A lot of things were a little disrupted. Um, I was, by then, uh, I was actually executive vice president. The widow of the owner promoted me to that role. And I was responsible for basically everything that happened inside the company. And she brought in an outside guy to run it. And at the time, I was crushed. I could not understand why she wouldn't let me run it. I had been running so much of the organization already. I was 30. And she felt I wasn't seasoned enough. And I'm so lucky that that was her perception. I mean, we know I was able to figure out things I wasn't really prepared for all along the way. But what a break it was that I did not try to make that work. I ended up leaving because I was not happy with the direction the new guy took the company in. And I was also pregnant at the time. So when I left, because I had been very active in the direct marketing industry and in the Direct Marketing Trade Association, the DMA, um, a lot of people knew me. And in less than a week, a variety of consultants had subcontracted work to me. And so I was working right away and never stopped. And I've been consulting now for, uh, it'll be 30, oh my gosh, I think it will be 35 years in December. Wow. And it's been a real evolution because I sort of shifted from telemarketing to customer service and uh, 
call and contact center management. But when you are doing that work, when you are dealing with the people who deal with customers, you learn about what goes on in the whole company. And if executives were willing to hear about exactly as you said before, if they were willing to hear about root causes and not just what we had to do in the call center to clean things up, and I could explain to them what was going on in the rest of the company that was creating problems for customers. So over time, I got to work on companies' strategy, on their leadership development, on all kinds of operations issues, really whatever needed fixing that wasn't either finance or tech, almost anything else. If there was a human involved, I could be involved. And that has continued and has been unfailingly fascinated from, fascinating from then to now. That's amazing to hear. I mean, I'm a big advocate of reading and ingesting content, right? Uh, Psycho-cybernetics, mindset, all, everything to do with the psychology of humans and how they interact with others. I've always been in sales, actually. And I was spending 10 years in advertising sales before I started my own agency. And getting to know what goes on with humans really humanizes you as well. Because people aren't mad about the product service. It's about what they perceive that brand to have that ethos of the value prop, right? It's like, what's the core value of the company? And it's ingrained in the people. And obviously, you try to evolve the people to bring them up to the same value prop. And it's hard to get everyone in alignment. And that's the biggest challenge when you get bigger. When you try to streamline costs and you try to be more efficient, there's a lot of people involved and they're in different stages of their lives. They have different values. They're, there's so many different moving parts and dynamics. How do you bring that all together, especially for larger corporations that have so many different pillars, so many departments, so many headcounts? Like you mentioned, you worked at a call center, 300 people. I used to work at a fairly large corporation that had, I don't know, 10,000 people, right? Sure. And if you look at HR departments, there's so many subsets within the HR department on training and, you know, employee benefits and all that stuff, right? There's so many things involved. What kind of customers did you have to, like, have you been working with? And what is, what have you discovered? Because I would love to hear some of the stories because you've probably experienced a lot of turmoil that you had to transition and change, right? In terms of their culture. So, um, the kinds of organizations I work with, they're really all across the board because the important thing is that whoever the senior leader or the decision maker is, we have to trust each other and feel like we can say what is real. Otherwise, there's not much value to my being there. You know, if, if, um, if they don't want to hear it from me, well, then I don't want to be there because I can't accomplish very much and it's not rewarding. And um, the kind of organization is less crucial. I have worked in Fortune 500s. I have worked in nonprofit organizations. 
I would say what I really love, I love family business. I love privately held. I love where you can go directly to an owner and say, here are the things I'm seeing. Here are the things I think we can do. Do you want to do this? Do you believe in this? Do you want to put your skin in the game? Do you want to back it up? Or do you want to live with it the way it is? I mean, it's amazing, John. Often, people think about what it will take to change and decide that they're actually okay with how it is the way it is. They, they don't want the disruption and to have to put in all that effort and to do exactly what you're talking about, which is to convince every person that we're going in this new direction. And to your other point where you talked about customers, so much of it is not just the values, because you can actually have the same values and not get along. It is about the relationship and the way we treat each other in the relationship, because people can have wonderful conceptual values and still behave badly. And they can behave badly because they're under pressure. They certainly can behave badly when they're afraid or because something about their bad behavior has worked for them at some early point in their life or career and no one ever helped them change it and they don't know it doesn't work anymore. There are so many reasons you can have. I mean, the brain, so you've, you've read a lot. You know the brain loves its habits. The brain loves patterns and habits because it wants stuff to be quick and efficient. And that means we often react to what we think is happening, but it might not be what's actually happening. So I really like any project where people are really interested in making improvements. They are interested in hearing their own thoughts come back to them from somebody else so that they can see them in a fresh way and in hearing somebody else's thoughts and then rolling up their sleeves and getting to work. That is very rewarding. And it's great to hear that because humans don't like change. They're so used to a, a certain behavior, habit, especially tendencies, right? They love certain things, the way things have been for 5, 10, 20 years, for someone to make a change, especially the elderly owners of corporations, small companies, whatever it may be, they're so used to it, right? For them to make that huge transition or bring someone on that wants to make that you know, transition, it's overwhelming for a lot of people because that comes with stress. That comes with a lot of uncertainty and unknowns. And with that in mind, we are in an age here in, you know, this global information age, that change is constant. We're constantly making, changing, and disrupting every single industry with technology. And if you are not a part of this change, you're going to be left behind. And with that in mind, I mean, you've seen a lot of corporations, you've seen a lot of individuals and private companies what were some of the, the major triggers? Like, I know you mentioned like private and family run are always the best because they, pro they probably understand and they, they 
acknowledge their own problems because you have this one-on-one relationship with them, right? Versus a corporate ladder, very much, uh, you know, very structured and a lot of tears. And it's hard to get things done because it's a meeting after another meeting after another meeting. Nothing ever actually gets done, right? Um, What have you found that really makes a difference in these companies? Because there's so many different variations, so many different, you know, things that can go wrong probably does go wrong, right? Um, you know, what, what have you found? Because I, I just love that you have worked with so many companies, so many people, and you have a lot of experience. When I hear 30 plus years of any industry or any profession, you're an expert. After 10 years, you know a lot more than a lot of people. But 30 years, that's a lot. So I'm going to agree with some of what you said and shift some of it a little bit. Sure. Because the interesting thing is that a lot of people want change. Yep. Um, so it's not that everybody's resistant to change. People are resistant to change that is imposed upon them. Okay. People are resistant to change that they don't choose. People are resistant to change where they can't see how to really make it work. And those are for good reasons, because we hate to look stupid. We don't like to feel ignorant. We don't want to feel unsuccessful. There are all kinds of good self-protective reasons that we shy away if if it's not something we really want or don't really see how to do. And that goes back to the question you asked before about values. So... It is very important in any planned change, or I'm thinking about the pandemic, organizational response to unplanned change, to anchor it in the context of where is the company going, what are the company's purposes, what is the purpose and value of any individual person's work, And therefore, what will the change mean to any individual human? And I think the thing that goes wrong so often is an individual, often brilliant, enterprising, thoughtful, comes up with a proposal for change and thinks that explaining it once will get people to rally to the cause. And that announcing it after there's executive agreement will get everybody on the train. And that is really inaccurate. Um, It is remarkable how often you can have very smart executives, a wonderful leadership team, struggle putting together the best possible plans. And then they know all about the plans and they believe in them, and they think that an all-hands meeting or a company-wide memo or video or whatever it is they do will actually explain to everybody what's next, what's expected, and then, you know, we go on gung-ho from here. But that's not meaningful to all the individuals who didn't come up with the idea. They need it sort of at the desk level. So going back to your earlier question, 
the changes that work best either percolate up from the actual employees who need them, and then there may be a negotiation process with the management, how we plan the systems, how we assign accountability, whatever. Or if they're coming down, they come down slowly enough with ongoing communication to an extent that most people don't even dream of in multiple channels, repeated messaging with variation, one-to-one discussion, and the chance to review and shift as necessary. That is a lot of work. And it takes a lot of time. And most of us don't plan for that. I mean, we don't even like the changes we plan for ourselves. I'm going to eat more healthy. I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to do these things. But the day we forget to bring our special cup to the office, well, that day we don't drink more water. You know, it was our change. We were signed up a thousand percent. and We made a mistake and it fell down that day. You multiply that over several hundred people. You have a lot that's sort of going off course. So the amount of coordination and the sort of gritty determination to see it through tiny step by tiny step, that's the kind of commitment that's actually necessary. And it's great to hear from you about that exact point because people forget that people ingest content differently And they absorb it differently at different stages. And it's very similar because I was in sales for 10 years. Psychologically, it's all about hitting them at the right time in the need sales process cycle at the right moment with the right offer, with the right value prop, with the right kind of product that they will say yes, even though there's 10 rejections before then at multiple stages. So it's very similar to internal struggles. When you have a new project, you have a new system, new tech stack or software, you need to slowly educate, inform, and then deploy, implement slowly with multiple touch points, multiple communications, video training, uh, touch points, Q&As, and it's constant. Mm -hmm. And it could be going over three, six months or a year or a couple years for everyone to actually get it right on the same page and that's very important as a leader someone that owns and runs that ship of whatever corporation company to understand that humans absorb content differently every employee is different they're they're going through a lot of stress and challenges personal business corporate career whatever it is right you don't know what's going on right and therefore it's so important to just constantly drip them like you mentioned and ensure that everyone's on that alignment like connected and it's it's fun to hear right because i've been really really pushing my company to communicate collaborate discuss openly you know with a lot of forms interactions meetings and and just workshops and stuff so that everyone not only gets to know and like each other, mm-hmm. but then they understand what each person does every day, task, yeah, yeah. roles, responsibility, so that they do not judge. 
they do, they understand when they send something and it takes longer. Oh, I know you're going through a lot of projects and going through a lot of tasks and I will wait, right? Like it's kind of forced, but it's more like I, I understand. It's a different perspective, right? Yeah, I agree with that. I actually think that understanding and awareness are more valuable than liking. Because you can like somebody and actually disrespect them too. Yes. We've all heard, I like her, but, <laughs> right? That's deadly. But if I understand her situation and I know the pressures she's under, then I'm more likely to give her some grace. Exactly. And even ask, oh, Susan, how does this affect you? Is there some way that I can do this that is actually better, more realistic, more helpful to you? Because if I can do it without any difficulty, I'm happy to do that. And that's how you build shared commitment to things, which goes along with what you're talking about in terms of the collaboration. That idea of shared commitment as opposed to we are each doing our separate things and then we let the chips fall where they may and we're aggravated and resentful if it doesn't come out our way. And it's interesting because I know a lot of tech companies hire newer uh, employees, like people fresh out of university, college, highly educated, smart, creative. And their whole objective is to let people be free. They have this great work environment. They allow them to eat whenever, go on breaks whenever, do whatever, but they're creative. And that's interesting because different companies have different SOP structures and systems processes. But with these R&D tech companies, you need them to be as creative as possible, open, so that they are aware of opportunities. Have you noticed that on specific levels of corporations or types of companies that you've worked with? And has there been, you know, because I always look at someone that is maybe a little bit younger with technology in terms of how they grew, grew up on a computer versus someone that's more wise, I would say, someone that's more um, in their 60s, I would say, 50s that are more hesitant to change. Have you noticed that, you know, the, the younger people are much more creative in the sense that they have all these ideas and they want to, are more outspoken in that sense? Okay, so you've just raised a half a dozen issues all at <laughs> once. So let me parse out some of this. What I'm thinking is, even those people who are encouraged to be so creative and free, they are usually working within some kind of project management structure. It is not that they are just, they may be free to have their meals when they want and to work when they want, but they also have stand-ups or huddles. They come together to talk about what they're working on. They are not free to do something that is outside the nature of the business kind of thing. There are still some structures. Yep. Part of why young people can be more free is they've made fewer mistakes than the rest of us. <laughs> they have not yet lived, lived. through 
Exactly. The Children, pain. pain, elderly parents, right. like life. Yeah, totally get it. So more experienced people often, got to be careful about generalizing, but often the brain likes its habits. Yeah, yeah. As you live longer, you have yeah. more of them about more things. Yeah. On the other hand, I think one of the greatest gifts, whatever your age, is to be a curious person. Yeah. Because if you wonder why does that way work and why does that way not work, then at least you are open to hearing a new story about it and you might change your mind. Yeah. The problem is the closed mind, not yeah. the age. The, there are plenty of young people who are very rigid, yeah. who can only work or function in certain particular ways that they are used to, and they are very uncomfortable being asked to work in a different way. One of the things we're at risk of right now, particularly given this pandemic, which has been going on, it feels like forever, there are many new employees who have never, ever met in person the rest of their team, their boss, etc. So the kind of getting to know you, the awareness and the understanding we talked about before, that's not present for a lot of people. And so they're doing their own thing in their head without understanding how it really comes together and integrates with whatever else is going on in their organization. And sometimes they are deeply distressed when an idea that they have worked on on their own then doesn't fit perfectly. It's those cues and clues we get from working with other people that help us have better ideas. I mean, there's new science now on brainstorming, for example, that the great ideas are not the first things that everybody barfs out on the table in the first five minutes where you have the loudest talkers coming up with the most and the rest people sitting quietly. Sometimes it's coming up with some ideas and then building additional ideas on those ideas that and it's, it's those secondary ideas, those more thoughtful ideas that often have the most promise for actual implementation. So you can bring young people along to see all that. One of the things that's great about young people today is they want to know if there are more efficient ways of doing things. They want to know, you know, Kids who grew up with cheat codes, they want to know what is the shortcut. They're very interested in that. They want feedback all the time. That's often harder for older people who didn't like getting feedback to give as much. They think, why do I need to tell you all the time? Can't you just do it by yourself? But that ability, the call and response, the ability to go back and forth and share ideas that's fabulous, and young people are really up for that. And I think you mentioned and raised a really good point about human connection and where, yes, during this pandemic, a lot of the newer employees, and I see this with even my organization, we used to meet every month, do a big annual trip, and get to know each other yeah. on a personal, you know, it doesn't have to be intimate, but on a level where we all understand each other what's going on in their life, where they're at, 
in their you know cycle right yep. um what what challenges and problems they have outside of work yep. what are some of their stressors and and i've learned this just from interacting with so many people not just in my company and my my career right and prior to that i've always been active in terms of sports and community and all that stuff so just getting to know people and inquire i'm always curious like you mentioned but more so this pandemic i came at a different stage in the, in the company i was really doing workshops i was doing monthly workshops q and a ask me anything let's make sure mental health is great right everyone is helping each other overcome this um and support each other everyone's going through a lot of different challenges and new stressors and how do we understand each other more be vulnerable right um but it's hard and i get it for some people because they need it they need that belonging sense of belonging and if companies are it for them because they have no other social activities they have no family and that's it and you're breaking that from that right social interaction it's very difficult so acknowledging be aware of where people are coming and what's going on but one of the things that you mentioned which is social interaction is last year and a half two years i've really really focused on community like my neighborhood my community because i was so busy constantly you know working only hanging out with friends and family my social circle but getting to know others and opening up yourself to you know people strangers neighbors that you never really interacted with because you're now at home you're stuck right you're spending so much time here you might as well get to know your neighbors right in the last 10 years i never really never spoke to my neighbors until most recently and i got to really appreciate what's going on in their lives and that's the human interaction and you don't have to have the same career or whatever but you live next to them right so might as well get to know people and that's one thing i've always been you know I, i'm a strong believer in like getting to know others being yourself and ask open ended questions like i'm the type that would constantly ask questions mm-hmm. and letting people just when they're comfortable share it or not and just be vulnerable right be yourself um but that's a, also very difficult for introverts right like if you're not an in, uh, you're an extrovert and you're not social guess what you're in front of a computer looking for stuff right and communities online it's hard like you know building relationships with new people is a challenge for a lot of people because it's not comfortable right what do you have to say about that because during this pandemic like a lot of people are mental health huge situation mm-hmm. students kids you know colleagues employees there's so much going on how do you overcome it for a lot of people what you said about community is beautiful i think it is very important to recognize and i'm saying this specifically for anybody who is thinking about starting an initiative to create community we are all different we are not comfortable with the same things and we don't want the same things at a base level we may need some of the same stuff but we need it in different amounts so 
if we're focusing specifically on introverts, I wouldn't use the word vulnerable. Introverts feel vulnerable all the time. They're trying to keep everybody out. I'm an introvert. Let's keep everybody out. Let them in only a little bit as I grow to trust them, if it's comfortable, if it's safe. I wouldn't use the word vulnerable. That's a red flag. I would say, let's get to know each other, but you make it more mild so it's not threatening. Um, so that's one aspect. Another aspect is it is very helpful to have something to do with other people as opposed to just being with other people if you're dealing with introverts. So I am making this up. I'm no expert in this. This is um, deduction and logic. But if you want to get to know people who are your neighbors and you suspect some of them might be introverts, instead of saying, let's have a big get to know you block party when we've never met each other because the introverts may not come, Okay, what about if you were to do something good for your neighborhood, a cleanup, something for animals, something where there is a purpose, so the introvert might be attracted by the purpose as opposed to the crowd. And most people, once they're there, they'll greet somebody, and then there's, as you say, a connection made. So you give it to people as much as they can take. But it is really important also in, when we talked about change initiatives. If you overwhelm people, no matter how good your intentions are, they have to stop you for their own survival. That looks different inside a corporation than it might look you know, in the park. But it is a withdrawal. Or in some cases, if I don't think I can be safe by withdrawing, I may even go on the attack to push you away. So creating options. People can uh, help make sandwiches. Maybe we are having the block party, but we need volunteers. Sometimes introverts are really good volunteers. They're happy to do the work. So on the sandwich line, they meet two people and they're doing a good job and then you can praise them and thank them afterward. That might be a way in. The thing is that we are all like each other because we are all human, but we are all quite different in what makes us comfortable. And the golden rule is no longer enough. We have to think in terms of what makes the other person comfortable as opposed to doing for them what we would wish for ourselves it's it's beautiful to hear liz because and maybe it's different perspective because when i said community i and neighbors i go to the park with my son and mm -hmm. i i meet a lot of parents that have children similar ages so we have something like-minded right, we live right. in a neighborhood and right, we have right. children there's people that have pets and they surround, you know, pet park, right. dog park. They have interests, like-minded. And I've been really honing down on this when I am, I'm working on my own community, online community, where we've been really focused on, in the corporate level, my company, finding like-minded intersects, game mm -hmm. night, reading nights, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, social night, let's have a, you know, online game, reading, whatever, event right so 
it's not it's voluntary whoever likes that certain interest or hobby they can all join and it's fun right it's a social interaction it's very similar to all these clubs and associations and groups that you have globally although it's been closed for over a year (laughs) but it's the same kind of mindset right like if you can gravitate with people that have the similar interests then there's a connection somewhere age or some sort of foodies or whatever travel bloggers whatever it may be at least you have something in common and therefore you're connected right that's the whole point right and this is where i learned sales right just asking questions to find if there's intersex right you know finding people who are loving travel loving food loving certain things and you can share your perspective on certain restaurants different cuisines destinations that you travel and therefore there's a connection right people are more willing to listen and want to work with someone that gets them that understands them their point of view gets listened and understood right connected it's the same thing with the culture corporate culture when you get people to understand each other on each skill task role then you can really help them with other tasks right like give them certain projects deadlines but understanding each other perspective that's how you build a good company i feel or create your own you know whole person like if you look at yourself like family friends work mm-hmm. you know religion activities what do you guys all have in common there's some sort of interest that intersect with people that you like hanging out with really spending a lot of time with right so let's just look for where the gaps are in that when you were talking about all the activities with the people in your firm I would bet that there are one or two or three who don't show up to most of those things. And because there are, you know, whether you take a bell curve or any other distribution, there's always somebody in the left-hand tail, right? So how do you get those people engaged? One of the ways is to create a forum in which could be like a lunch and learn. People talk about something that's important to them. And it could be from when they were young. It could be a hobby now. But it's highlighting each person we have here because we are all important. And then it turns out that this one person loves um, orchids. Quiet person, doesn't talk much. But it turns out that they, I'm making this up completely, they show photos of this room full of orchids and everybody who has, now I'm going back to the connections you're talking about before, those intersections. Anybody who has any gardening, anybody who likes um, decor, decoration, beauty, you have a lot of different possibilities there. Maybe they talked about some of the science of the breeding or care. And so you might get somebody with an interest in other aspects of botany or, you know, who knows what. Helping even these people who might otherwise be in the shadows have a safe five-minute way 
to bring themselves forward a little bit goes to the getting to know you without their necessarily needing to be vulnerable. But now everybody knows something significant and important about them. And if my experience is any guide, when they have a birthday, people might chip in together and buy an orchid or look for a card that has orchids or, you know, that then mushrooms because we want to find those places of connection. And in the same way that we want to be seen, in general, we want to say, oh, I see you. I see what you care about. And I want to address that. That's a great point because giving everyone a voice because everyone has a superpower, their story, whatever it is, there's an intersection of some sorts because you're connected at the company level. Yep. You believe yep. in something together, right? You yep. have this entire value, core values or ethos that's connected and you're put in this company for a reason, right? You guys all believe in hopefully the mission or whatever it is, the goals. If you are able to share, collaborate, bring everyone together, and then they look forward to wanting to work and support and help each other because they understand each other, it just, the culture actually gets better. Like everyone then will look forward to embracing and working with these individuals that they didn't even know existed in the company. That's right. And, and the larger it is, the harder it gets, right? Large co corporations, very difficult to manage a lot of different subsets. Everyone in the management level has to be on board to then pass it along because there's so many people, mm -hmm. different time zones, different fact, like different skill sets, so right. much going on, right? right so right. it's easier to manage when you have 50 people or 100 people or 300 people versus 10,000 people. Correct. And when you have 10,000 people, in addition to managing the 10,000 at the top level with corporate philosophy, corporate purpose, corporate mission, you have to create neighborhoods inside that yep. because we can't feel cared about by 10,000 people, yep. but we can, be, we can feel cared about by you know, our desk mate. And so even in organizations, and there are many, John, I hate to tell you, where the culture is not positive enough or the kind of care you're talking about is not present. I've interviewed thousands of employees who um, will complain about the company. And I will say, so why do you stay? And they say, because of the people. Because the people in their department are people they have come to know and have real relationship with. And so sometimes it is those connections that actually create a surrogate for what should be thoughtful company culture. And you can identify the neighborhoods in the organization where those small cultures are stronger. And you can build outward from them as well as bringing the culture in to them. No, that's great. I mean, this has been amazing, Liz. I know we, I had a bunch of questions, but I don't really go through them. Right. Um, 
And again, it's always fun to just talk to people about their opinion, perspective, and their expertise, right? So can you tell the listeners what you're working on today? Like, what have you been up to this, during this pandemic? And what are you planning on doing for the next three, five, ten more years? Because it seems like you're still loving what you do. And you're still very passionate. Um, and it sounds like you're excited, right, to keep doing this because it's fun. Yeah. No, that's... That is, I'm so lucky, John, because that's actually true. And I make jokes that I will still be consulting and coaching when they put me in the nursing home because, you know, it's been so great. Why not keep doing it? Um, so I have interesting client work. I'm very grateful for that. Um, I would say professionally, I think it is probably time for me to write a book, which requires more quiet time. I mean, I'm an introvert, but I do a lot of writing already. So I have to think about how to do that in a way that's really comfortable. Um, because the part I like the best is being with clients and actually making stuff happen. And on a personal level, I'm thinking a lot about aging and how aging works and about how to make things sm <laughs> smooth and comfortable for my kids so that when I get too old to really take care of myself, it's easy for them. I want to stay vital, interesting, and interested, um, and worth dealing with for as long as possible. So I'm already you can't wait to the last minute on these things i'm already thinking about how to manage my life so that i stay current with technology so that i know what are the interesting ideas of the time whenever that is and um so that i make it easy for others that's amazing to hear um wisdom and as you mature in not just life career as a parent, um, your, your values change, right? Like in terms of not values, but your, your focus changes on yes. different stages of your life. Yes. Um, you know, at the beginning, it's maybe career advancement, you know, some sort of uh, balance in terms of equity or learning wealth and making sure you have some sort of sustainability mm -hmm. to, to ensure that your children have the most available um, but then you have to take care of your health. You got to make sure that your longevity and you stay current, like you mentioned, so that your brain continues working and is fully optimized and functional. And of course, then you're looking at legacy, right? Like writing a book, making sure that you um, can be remembered for many generations, not just your children, right? And so I love that. Um, I've, I'm also working on a book, I'm working on community, I have a lot of different projects on the go, but it's fun, right? Like, like you mentioned, being curious, yes. having a lot of interests, having a lot of people that you interact with, and enjoy the process, because life, you never know what's going to happen. But if you keep living, and keep doing and keep moving, at least you know, you didn't say I should have, I could have, right? At least you can say, I did, and it didn't work out. But I, I tried it. 
And you can say, I still want to. Yes. I would like to be valuable and vital till the end. And that means being enough aware of what's going on to keep wanting things. Yes. So true. I'm so honored. Thanks a lot, Liz. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I know we had a lot of different tangents there. Um, how can some of the listeners get in touch with you if they want to uh, reach out for your services? Um, is there a, a website or a social channel or email that you would like to include? And we'll put it in the show notes. Great. Thank you. Uh, the best place to find me is on my website, which is www.lizkislik.com. I'm going to spell that for anybody who's on an exercise bike. That's L-I-Z-K-I-S as in Sam, L-I-K. Um, and actually, John, if anybody goes there, they can get a free ebook that is about the interpersonal aspects of conflict and my TEDx is there, which is about conflict. And I have years and years of blogs and articles about how you deal with humans and as a human inside organization. So um, there's loads of material there and people are welcome to come and use it. Amazing, Liz. Um, thank you for sharing. I'll have that in the show notes. Again, I want to thank you for our discussion today um, and truly honor to have you on the show. Thanks again, Liz. It was so fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to The Business Sphere and share this episode. Tune in next week for more interviews from entrepreneurs. Oh,